Part Three of The Jewel of Boss by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three. He did it like an animal, quick and without thinking. The cold was quick too. It jabbed the wand at Ram, but the little brown man was coming so fast that it didn't stop him. He must have died in mid-leap, but his body knocked the cold over and bore him down. Ciaran followed him in a swift cat-leap. He heard the hunter grunting and snarling somewhere behind him, and the thudding of bare feet being very busy. He lost sight of the other called. He lost sight of everything but a muscular gray arm that was trying to pull a jeweled-tipped wand from under Ram's corpse. There was a terrible stink of burning flesh. Ciaran grabbed the gray wrist. He didn't bother with it or the arm. He slid his grip up to the fingers, got his other hand beside it, and started wrenching. Bone cracked and split. Ciaran worked desperately from the thumb and the little finger. Flesh tore. Splinters of gray bone came through. Ciaran's hand slipped in the blood. The gray beast opened its mouth, but no sound came. Ciaran decided that the things were dumb. It was human enough to sweat. Ciaran grabbed the wand. A gray paw, the other one, came clawing for his throat around the bulk of Ram's shoulders. He flicked it with the wand. It went away, and Ciaran speared the jewel tip down hard against the call's throat. After a while, Mouse's voice came to him from somewhere. It's done, Kiri. No use overcooking it. It smelled done all right. Ciaran got up. He looked at the wand in his hand, holding it away off. He whistled. Mouse said, Stop admiring yourself and get going. The hunter says he can hear chains. Ciaran looked around. The other called lay on the ground. Its neck seemed to be broken. The body of the squat dark boy lay on top of it. The hunter said, He didn't feel the wand. I think he'd be glad to be a club for killing one of them, if he knew it. Ciaran said, yeah. He looked at Mouse. She seemed perfectly healthy. Aren't women supposed to faint at things like this? She snorted. <laughs> I was born in the thieves' quarter. We used to roll skulls instead of pennies. They weren't so scarce. I think, said Ciaran, the next time I get married I'll ask more questions. Let's go. They went down the ramp leading under the forbidden plains. The hunter led like a wary beast. Ciaran brought up the rear. They both carried the stolen wands. The hermit hadn't spoke a word or moved a hand to help. It was fairly dark there underground, but not cold. In fact, it was hotter than outside, and got worse as they went down. Ciaran could hear a noise like a hundred armorers beating on shields, only louder. There was a feeling of a lot of people moving around but not talking much, and an occasional crash or metallic screaming that Ciaran didn't have any explanation for. He found himself not liking it. They went a fairish way on an easy downslope, and then the light got brighter. The hunter whispered, Careful! and slowed down. They drifted like four ghosts through an archway into a glow of clear bluish light. They stood on a narrow ledge, 
Just here it was hand-smoothed, but on both sides it ran in nature-eroded roughness into a jumble of stalactites and wind-galleries. Above the ledge, in near darkness, was the high roof-arch, and straight ahead there was just space. Eventually, a long way off, Ciron made out a wall of rock. Below there was a pit. It was roughly barrel-shaped. It was deep. It was so deep that Ciron had to crane over the edge to see bottom. Brilliant blue-white flares made it brighter than daylight about two-thirds of the way up the barrel. There were human beings laboring in the glare. They were tiny things, no bigger than ants from this height. They wore no chains, and Ciaran couldn't see any guards. But after the first look, he quit worrying about any of that. The thing growing up in the pit took all his attention. It was built of metal. It rose and spread in intricate swooping curves of shining whiteness, filling the whole lower part of the cavern. Ciaran stared at it with a curious, numb feeling of awe. The thing wasn't finished. He had not the faintest idea what it was for, but he was suddenly terrified of it. It was more than just the sheer crushing size of it, or the unfamiliar metallic construction that was like nothing he had seen or even dreamed of before. It was the thing itself. It was power. It was strength. It was a titan growing there in the belly of the world, getting ready to reach out and grip it and play with it, like mouse gambling with an empty skull. He knew, looking at it, that no human brain in his own scale and time of existence had conceived that shiny monster, nor shaped one smallest part of it. The Red Hunter said simply, I'm scared, and this smells like a trap. Ciaran swallowed something that might have been his heart. We're in it, pal, like it or don't, and we'd better get out of sight before that chain gang runs into us. Off to the side, along the rough part of the ledge, where there were shadows and holes and pillars of rock, seemed the best bet. There was a way down to the cavern floor, a dizzy zigzag of ledges, ladders, and steps, but once on it you were stuck and no cover. They edged off, going as fast as they dared. Mouse was breathing rather heavily, and her face was white enough to make the brand show like a blood drop between her brows. The hermit seemed to be moving in a private world of his own. The sight of the shining giant had brought a queer blaze to his eyes, something Ciaran couldn't read and didn't like. Otherwise he might as well have been dead. He hadn't spoken since he cursed them back in the gully. They crouched down out of sight among the forest of stalactites. Ciaran watched the ledge. He whispered, They hunt by scent? The hunter nodded. I think the other humans will cover us. Too many scents in this place. But how did they have those two waiting for us at the cave mouth? Ciaran shrugged. Telepathy. Thought transference. Lots of backwater people have it. Why not the calls? You don't, said the hunter. Think of them as having human minds? Don't kid yourself. They think all right. They're not human, but they're not true animals either. Did they think that? The hunter pointed at the pit. No, said Ciaran slowly. They didn't. Then who? He broke off. Quiet. 
Here they come. Ciaran held his breath, peering one-eyed around a stalactite. The slave gang, with the gray guards, began to file out of the tunnel and down the steep descent to the bottom. There was no trouble left in any of those people. There were several empty collars. There were also fewer calls. Some had stayed outside to track down the four murderous fugitives, which meant no escape at that end. Ciaran got an idea. When the last of the line and the guards were safely over the edge, he whispered, "'Come on. We'll go down right on their tails.' Mouse gave him a startled look. He said impatiently, "'They won't be looking back and up, I hope, and there won't be anybody else coming up while they're going down. You've got a better idea about getting down off this bloody perch. Spill it.' She didn't have, and the hunter nodded. "'Is good. Let's go.' They went like the very devil. Since all were professionals in their own line, they didn't make any more fuss than so many leaves falling. The hermit followed silently. His pale eyes went to the shiny monster in the pit at every opportunity. He was fermenting some idea in his shaggy head. Ciaran had a hunch the safest thing would be to quietly trip him off into space. He resisted it simply because knifing a man in a brawl was one thing and murdering an unsuspecting elderly man in cold blood was another. Later he swore a solemn oath to drop humanitarianism, but hard. Nobody saw them. The calls and the people below were all too busy not breaking their necks to have eyes for anything else. Nobody came down behind them, a risk they had had to run. They were careful to keep a whole section of the descent between them and the slave gang. It was a hell of a long way down. The metal monster grew and grew and slid up beside them and then above them, towering against the vault. It was beautiful. Ciaran loved its beauty even while he hated and feared its strength. Then he realized that there were people working on it clinging like flies to its white beams and arches. Some worked with wands not very different from the one he carried, fusing metal joints in a sparkle of hot light. Others guided the huge metal pieces into place, bringing them up from the floor of the cavern on long ropes and fitting them delicately. With a peculiar dizzy sensation, Ciaran realized there was no more weight to the metal than if it were feathers. He prayed they could get past those workers without being seen, or at least without having an alarm spread. The four of them crawled down past two or three groups of them, safely. And then one man, working fairly close to the cliff, raised his head and stared straight at them. Ciaran began to make frantic signs. The man paid no attention to them. Ciaran got a good look at his eyes. He let his hands drop. He doesn't see us, whispered Mouse slowly. Is he blind? The man turned back to his work. It was an intricate fitting of small parts into a pierced frame, work that in all his wanderings Ciaran had never seen done anywhere in any fashion. He shivered. No, he just doesn't see us. The big hunter licked his lips nervously, like a beast in a deadfall. His eyes glittered. The hermit laughed without any sound. They went on. 
It was the same all the way down. Men and women looked at them but didn't see. In one place they paused to let the slave gang get farther ahead. There was a woman working not far out. She looked like a starved cat, gaunt ribs showing through torn rags. Her face was twisted with the sheer effort of breathing, but there was no expression in her eyes. Quite suddenly, in the middle of an unfinished gesture, she collapsed like wet leather and fell. Ciaran knew she was dead before her feet cleared the beam she was sitting on. That happened twice more on the way down. Nobody paid any attention. Mouse wiped moisture off her forehead and glared at Ciaran. A fine place to spend a honeymoon, you and your lousy shortcuts. For once Ciaran had no impulse to cuff her. The last portion of the descent was covered by the backs of metal lean-tos full of heat and clamor. The four slipped away into dense shadow between two of them, crouched behind a mound of scrap. They had a good view of what happened to the slave gang. The calls guided it out between massive pillars of white metal that held up the gaunt web overhead. Fires flared around the cliff foot. A hot blue-white glare beat down, partly from some unfamiliar light sources fastened to the girders, partly from the mouths of furnaces hot beyond any heat Ciaran had ever dreamed of. Men and women toiled sweating in the smoke and glare, and never looked at the newcomers in their chains. There were no guards. The calls stopped the line in a clear space beyond the shacks and waited. They were all facing the same way, expectant, showing their bright gray teeth and rolling their blood-pink eyes. Ciaran's gaze followed theirs. He got rigid suddenly, and the sweat on him turned cold as dew on a toad's back. He thought at first it was a man walking down between the pillars. It was man-shaped, tall and slender and strong, and sheathed from crown to heels in white mesh metal that shimmered like bright water. But when it came closer he knew he was wrong. Some animal instinct in him knew even before his mind did. He wanted to snarl and put up his hackles and tuck his tail and run. The creature was sexless. The flesh of its hands and face had a strange unreal texture and a dusky yellow tinge that never came in living flesh. Its face was human enough in shape, thin with light angular bones. Only it was regular and perfect, like something done carefully in marble, with no human softness or irregularity. The lips were bloodless. There was no hair, not even any eyelashes. The eyes in that face were what set Ciaran's guts to knotting like a nest of cold snakes. They were not even remotely human. They were like pools of oil under the lashless lids, black, deep, impenetrable, without heart or soul or warmth. But wise, wise with the knowledge beyond humanity, and strong with a cold, terrible strength, and old. There were none of the usual signs of age. It was more than that. It was a psychic, unhuman feel of antiquity, a time that ran back 
and back and still back to an origin as unnatural as the body it spawned. Ciaran knew what it was. He had made songs about the creature and sung them in crowded marketplaces and smoky wine-shops. He'd scared children with it and made grown people shiver while they laughed. He wasn't singing now. He wasn't laughing. He was looking at one of the androids of Bas the Immortal, a creature born of the mysterious power of the stone, with no faintest link to humanity in its body or its brain. Ciaran knew then whose mind had created the shiny monster towering above them, and he knew more than ever that it was evil. The android walked out onto a platform facing the slave gang, so that it was above them, where they could all see. In its right hand it carried a staff of white metal with a round ball on top. The staff and the mesh-metal sheath it wore blazed bright silver in the glare. The chained humans raised their heads. Ciaran saw the white scarred glint of their eyeballs, heard the hard suck of breath and the uneasy clashing of link metal. The calls made warning gestures with their wands, but they were watching the android. It raised the staff suddenly high over its head. The gesture put the ball top out of Ciaran's sight behind a girder. And then the lights dimmed and went out. For a moment there was total darkness, except for the dull marginal glow of the forges and furnaces. Then from behind the girder that hid the top of the staff a glorious opaline light burst out, filling the space between the giant pillars, reaching out and up into the dim air with banners of shimmering flame. The calls crouched down in attitudes of worship, their blood-pink eyes like sentient coals. A trembling ran through the line of slaves, as though a wind had passed across them and shaken them like wheat. A few cried out, but the sounds were muffled quickly to silence. They stood still, staring up at the light. The android neither moved nor spoke, standing like a silver lance. Ciaran got up. He didn't know that he did it. He was distinctly aware of Mouse beside him, breathing hard through an open mouth and catching opaline sparks in her black eyes. There was other movement, but he paid no attention. He wanted to get closer to the light. He wanted to see what made it. He wanted to bathe in it. He could feel it pulsing in him, sparkling in his blood. He also wanted to run away, but the desire was stronger than the fear. It even made the fear rather pleasurable. He was starting to climb over the pile of scrap when the android spoke. Its voice was light, clear, and carrying. There was nothing menacing about it, but it stopped Ciaran like a blow in the face, penetrating even through his semi-drugged yearning for the light. He knew sound. He knew mood. He was sensitive to them as his own harp in the way he made his living. He felt what was in that voice, or rather what wasn't in it, and he stopped dead still. It was a voice speaking out of a place where no emotion, as humanity knew the word, had ever existed. It came from a brain as alien and incomprehensible as darkness in a world of eternal light. 
a brain no human could ever touch or understand except to feel the cold weight of its strength and cower as a beast cowers before the terrible mystery of fire. Sleep, said the android. Sleep and listen to my voice. Open your minds and listen. End of part three.